In the midst of the din of this world, Christians aren't called out of this world. I don't call them out of this world. I ask you to keep them in this world, but keep them with you, Lord, and keep them one. And so we live right in the midst of a world of woe, but we have this peace. He says, not like the world gives do I give to you. We have this real peace and this real quiet, this real tranquility. And I'll tell you, it's, it's great. You know, oftentimes, you've heard it and seen it, I'm sure. Oftentimes, a Christian just brings it with him or her right into the office. And where there's stress and trouble, a Christian brings quietness and calmness and peace. And uh, you see that in an office. You'll see that in a home. You'll see that in a marriage. Uh, sometimes that's exactly what God uses Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Permanence of Justification. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. A lot of Christians don't enjoy the peace with God that they have. Many Christians don't enjoy peace with God, even though all Christians have it. Many Christians don't experience it. In, re, in their daily experience, even though all Christians have it. I mean, look at verse 1 again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, we have peace with God. We who are under His wrath now have peace. And you say, how do you know it? I've got God's Word on it. It's written down for us. We can enjoy it. We have peace with God. Don't get over it. I was thinking of Colossians. Uh, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Uh, listen to the language that he uses there in Colossians. I just quoted verse 20. 21 says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Again, this is true of every believer, whether they realize it or not. You might have put your faith in Jesus Christ and have never really enjoyed the fact that you have peace with God, but I'm here to tell you, take verse 1 and camp on it. Enjoy it. Exult in it. Positional peace positional peace. Every Christian has it. We have peace with God. Think of it. Uh, it's not merely that God is, is no longer against us. Uh, we're no longer at enmity with Him. That is true. But it is more than that. It is not merely that we're no longer in host hostilities, you know. Uh, we're no longer engaged in evil deeds. And His Face is no longer set against the sinner. But when you find peace in Christ, when He places you in Him, when your faith lays hold of Jesus Christ, why, not only is hostility ended, but God is actively for us. I mean, that's what it says over in Romans 8, doesn't it? And by the way, the first of Romans 5 and the end of Romans 8 go together. This whole section, it ties the whole section together, and you'll see a great parallel between the end of Romans 8 and the beginning of Romans 5, and uh, we should enjoy that. God is for us. 
Chapter 8 expands on it. But God is for us. I mean, we're His chosen. You know? Whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. I mean, the language of Romans 8. Uh, it's tremendous. He called us. He chose us. Who would bring a charge? He asks. Against God's elect. It's one of the few times you'll hear that phrase in Scripture. And he uses it in that polemic way. Who would dare bring a charge against someone that God has chosen, that God has elected? He's for us. He is for us. He gave His own Son. He didn't spare His own Son, Romans 8.32 says. He gave His Spirit. Look down at verse 5 here. Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, God is actively for us. I mean, verse 1, peace with God is a long way from verse 18 of chapter 1. Uh, when he started by saying, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's where the gospel begins. It does. And that's why to proclaim the gospel of Christ, we must speak of sin. We must present the holy, righteous truth about our God. But when you realize that this righteous God who cannot countenance sin, who will not just look the other way, when you realize that He Himself came to this earth in His Son, Jesus Christ, and died in our place, when you believe that that He was delivered up for your transgressions and raised again for your justification. You are justified by faith and you have peace with God. And it's a long way, even from chapter 3, when he kind of summarized the argument and said, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who seek for God. And that depressing end, you might say, is we realize nobody qualifies. Oh, once you come to Christ... Everything's turned around. We have peace with God. We stand right now in God's favor. Look at verse 2. Through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's not only that God isn't against us any longer. It's that God is for us and everything that comes our way comes through God's favor. We stand in grace today. Now, we're going to, and the text goes on and amplifies that in a special way. I mean, and it's so encouraging. And we'll look at it next time, Lord willing, because he says even troubles and trials come from his hand in the sense that we can exult even in these things because we stand in grace. We stand in almighty God's favor. Every circumstance in your life is allowed by God and usable by God to produce Christ-like character. And he's going to amplify that in verses 3 through 5. And uh, basically, let me just tell you, nothing can rob you of your peace with God. Nothing. I mean, you can just kind of go, you mean nothing. Nothing. Not the worst trials, and he'll mention some here, and Romans 8, he'll delineate quite a few. And he'll say, nothing can separate you from the love of God, and nothing can separate you from 
peace with God. And if you understand that, nothing can rob you of the peace of God, the experience of it. And I've met Christians who are suffering and who are in circumstances no one would choose, and yet they haven't lost the peace of God because nothing can get between you and God. We have peace with God. We have what the world needs. We have exactly what the world needs. You know why people aren't at peace with themselves? You know why people are not at peace with themselves, inner peace? Because they don't have peace with God. It's the foundation for all other peace. Peace with your Creator. Maybe you're here and you're looking for peace within. You'll never find it until you have peace with God. God created you. You've sinned. You're in rebellion against God. Maybe you've tried to cover it up with religion. Maybe you've tried to cover it up with uh, turning over a new leaf. Maybe you've tried any number of things, but still inside there's no peace. Why? Because there's no peace with God until you have your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then there is peace with God. People are talking about inner peace. You can find it through chanting this or meditating on that. No, you can't. It's a lie. It's a satanic lie. There is one who is the father of lies. He loves to lie about all these crucial things because he wants to keep you ensnared in sin. And I don't care how nicely it's packaged, you'll never find inner peace until you find peace with God. Why don't people have peace with others? Down at work, across the fence, in your neighborhood? Why don't we have peace horizontally? Why don't we have peace with our spouse? Because there's no peace with God. Oh, I know people can kind of coexist and people can make it, but real peace... Real peace horizontally is never found until there is peace vertically. Peace with God leads to peace with others. Peace with yourself, peace with your mate, peace with your co-worker. Why don't the nations have any peace? Why are nations at enmity with other nations? Because this world is at enmity with God. And there will never be lasting peace on earth as much as men may talk about it and strive for it even. We'll never be able to establish peace on earth until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, rules in righteousness. The fruit of righteousness will be peace, it says in Isaiah. You won't establish peace and then work on righteousness, uh uh. You've got to be right with God. And then there will be peace with God, and the fruit of that will be peace this way. Now, peace, positional peace with God is what we have and what everybody needs, you know. Uh, Another way to put it, and you might think of this, just think of the preposition. Peace with God leads to the peace of God. See, I'm not talking about when I speak of every Christian having peace with God, I'm not saying every Christian experiences that. You might be here and this morning maybe you haven't experienced any peace in your experience. But you can. 
that's what many, many texts speak of, and this is so practical because this isn't just a doctrine that we just kind of check off and say, okay, no, if this gets hold of us, if this truth gets hold of us, then it simmers down into our life and we have the peace of God. Be anxious for nothing. Remember when Paul wrote that? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, that experiential peace, the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 7. You see, you get hold of Him. And then you enjoy Him, and the peace of God starts to settle down into your life. In a world of turmoil and stress, we have and can enjoy a peace the world knows nothing of. My peace, Jesus said, I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. He gives a peace that is deep-seated, and hence it's really not understood by the world. It's beyond comprehension even for us believers. Uh, sometimes people tell me, they say, Scott, I don't understand why I feel so calm. I shouldn't be. And I say, oh, you're right, you shouldn't be. And I try to stir a little fear up, you know, in their situation. Because I'm, but you know, I, I say, no, I know what you mean. And so often, so often, we enjoy together then what it says in Philippians. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. There's really no human explanation for why someone facing the troubles and trials of this life in their intensity can experience peace. It's a divine explanation. It's based on peace with God and hence the peace of God. And I'll tell you, it's great. The world knows very little of it. But you think of all that the Bible says about it, and I want us to just kind of think on that just for a bit because this isn't merely to be left here. I mean, we're going to see. He takes this and brings it right through into the daily experience in verse 3 and following Troubles and trials lead to hope because God uses these things right in our life. But just think of all the Bible says just about peace that we can experience. I mean, he says, you know, in the Proverbs, he says, better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting and strife. We've got something the world so wants. Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. All around us, you got house full of feasting with strife, house full of cars with strife, house full of clothes with strife. And the scripture says, oh, better. Better is just a little scrap of bread, dry morsel, morsel and quietness with it, tranquility. I was in uh, Providence Hospital this week, and I came out of the uh, passageway between the hospital into the parking lot, and there's this roar, and I forgot, oh, yeah, I'm in the parking lot, which the hospital built right on the banfield, you know. And there's just this roar of freeway traffic right there. And I, I thought back to, uh, we lived 11 years real close to the freeway. And you just kind of get used to the roar. You know, there's just no quietness. It's just loud. And I told Chris, I said, it just pretend like it's a surf. We're at the beach, you know, this roar back there, the ocean, you can hear it. You know? And we got used to it, and we enjoyed those 11 years. But I still remember when we moved a little further away from the freeway and how peaceful it was. 
to not hear that constant din of traffic. In fact, this morning at 4.30, out on the deck, 11 or, I don't know, 9, 10 years later, I still enjoy it. You get up and there's the freeway noise just isn't quite as intense. In fact, it was quiet. And you hear almost the tranquility. And then you stop and think and listen a little bit and you hear birds and you hear, you know, it's, it's a peaceful thing. And I thought, what a picture. Because for believers, we have peace with God and we can enjoy the peace of God at any time. I don't care whether you live in the hospital or in the parking lot or near the freeway or not. Uh, I had, I enjoyed much peace with God with the din of the freeway behind me and I've enjoyed much peace of God in a quieter backyard. Uh, that has very little to do with really enjoying the quietness that God gives. Now, I used to, uh, when I was younger, when people spoke of devotional time as quiet time, I kind of resented it. I'd say, ah, because I was so enjoying, I'd just begun to realize that you could read and understand the Bible and that it wasn't just a mystical thing where you just kind of got in a zone. And so I, I didn't appreciate it when they called it, have you had your quiet time? I'd always kind of cringe because I thought, to me, it was reading this stuff and understanding it. But over the years, I've more and more used that term, quiet time. Because when you get in the Bible daily and spend time and just listen to God, the quietness that comes into your soul. In the midst of the din of this world, Christians aren't called out of this world. I don't call them out of this world. I ask you to keep them in this world, but keep them with you, Lord, and keep them one. And so we live right in the midst of a world of woe, but we have this peace He says, not like the world gives do I give to you. We have this real peace and this real quiet, this real tranquility. And I'll tell you, it's it's great. You know, oftentimes, you've heard it and seen it, I'm sure. Oftentimes, a Christian just brings it with him or her right into the office. And where there's stress and trouble, a Christian brings quietness and calmness and peace. And uh, you see that? In an office, you'll see that in a home. You'll see that in a marriage. Uh, Sometimes that's exactly what God uses to grab the non-Christian in the marriage, the unsaved one, to realize there's reality here. In fact, he says to wives very specifically, you can win your husband. Some of you are married to a non-Christian. You can win your husband without a word, without a word with the quietness and gentle spirit, the Christ-likeness that the Holy Spirit can produce in our lives, that peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. In fact, that will win them oftentimes quicker than the words. The peace of God. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, the proverb says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And sometimes Christians will experience that on the job. Uh, just seeking to please the Lord, why even his enemies will be at peace with him. Seek peace. He says, so much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, he's going to say, as he begins to apply this in chapter 12 of Romans, I think it's verse 18. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Because we have peace with God, we can experience the peace of God, we ought to seek to be at peace with all men. You know, it's, it's a, uh, listen to the 34th Psalm. 
the 34th Psalm, as he speaks about it. uh, Come, you children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Who would like the good life? Everybody, right? Who's the man who desires life? You really want to live? Fill your house with cars and clothes. Nah, our culture says that. And we've filled our lives with stuff. Nah, better is a dry morsel and peace, quietness with it, than a house full with strife. Who is the man, this is the 34th Psalm, who desires life? And love's length of days that he may see good. Here's what he says. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. God is the God of peace, Romans 16, verse 20 says. He has made peace through the blood of his cross. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. It should characterize our Christian lives because it is true of our fundamental relationship with God. We have peace. We can enjoy it. We can exult in it. We can splash around in it. That's what he says to do here in Romans 5. In the past, he established it. Now we stand in it. And in the future, there's the hope of the glory. I mean, he he covers the whole gamut here, and we'll talk more about that next time. But uh, let me just finish our first verse and look at the last phrase. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is all through Christ, the Prince of Peace. He made peace through the blood of His cross. Ephesians says He came and preached peace He established peace. I'm thinking of chapter 2 of Ephesians. And I think it's in verse 14 when he says, He himself, speaking of Christ, He himself is our peace. Oh, spend time with Him today. Enjoy the peace you have with God. Experience it by spending time with Him and enjoying His character. And then seek to be one who emanates his peace, a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the sons of God. We're sons and daughters of the one who made peace with the blood of his cross. Uh, We're called to be peaceful. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Permanence of Justification, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. 
But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. That's Romans 8, 28. We can know these things. We can know these things because uh, we stand in His favor. We stand in His grace. He is for us. Who could be against us? He has said, I'm going to use everything that comes into your life for your good. And so Paul says, we can exult and should exult in the tribulations, knowing, knowing, that's the key, that God is going to use them. You see, justification, justification alone doesn't produce perseverance and constancy and endurance and proven character. No, God uses circumstances to produce these things. God uses trials. God uses troubles in our lives to produce proven character. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, The Permanence of Justification. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.